0: And I mean that clearly. We stand together. Uh, Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy that pursues us all the days of our lives. And as children of your promise, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I thank you for the grace gift of the church. The body of Christ fit together the way you would have seen fit, the way you have planned, and the way you promised but I thank you for these precious people and the impact that they've had on my soul and the soul of my wife and my family. I thank you for the impact they're having in this community and in families and lives that they touch. But I pray that we would always be mindful of the in order to what? And that is that we would exalt the name of Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the name by which every knee will bow and every tongue confess but I pray that our lives, our very breath, would continue to do that this morning. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Would you please have a seat? Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Rain standing for the reading of God's word. You guys know better than I do. See, I take a week off and I forget everything. Um, There we go, maybe.
1: With Christ as my witnesses, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children, God revealed his glory to them and made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshipping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors. And Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. Praise, amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, not for all who are born into the... Nation of Israel, are truly members of God's people, being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the Scripture says, "Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted." Though Abraham had no other children, though Abraham had other children too, this means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Romans nine one through eight.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. Thank you very much, sweetie. Great job. Guys, did you know? Um, <coughs> in case you didn't sense it already from our prayer time, did you know that God longs to be gracious to us? Right. God, God's word in Isaiah says that He longs to be gracious to us. He waits on high to have compassion on us. Right. That although the blessed are those who long for Him. Like re- remember those words. God is for you. Right. We talked about that in Romans eight. God, if God is for us, and He is. then then who can be against us? We, We want to remember that because that is the message of the gospel. That is the promise. God saves sinners. And He still is. We are a people in need of help and He is gracious to help us. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That's what Paul is going to remind us of in this section of Scripture in Romans 9 through 11, that we'll be looking at um, next in our series in Romans. Look at your first talking points question. That's the um, discussion question that we have here. And I want to start with this idea that that if the promise of the gospel is so clear, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, you will be saved, then what makes it so hard to believe? Why is it so hard for us to believe such a clear promise? I'm asking. Okay, it's not hard to believe. So what keeps people from belief? What's that? It's hard to live it. Okay, go ahead, Scott. Okay, so I'm not worthy. Good. What else? People don't want to be a part of God's kingdom. This is true. That was true in the garden. What's that? It sounds like he's kidding. It's almost like it's too simple. Right? There's got to be more to it, doesn't there? I mean, there's got to be more. We get, there's got to be something we need to do, isn't there? Right. That's how we are. Good, Tina. That we can figure it out. Right? A couple of things I wrote down, these are great answers, a couple of things I wrote down is one, like the world system, science, right? we're, especially as Westerners, we're supposed to be people that trust the science, we're supposed to be people that go, you know what, that there's, that there's no way that that is reasonable, right? and yet the reality is, as a guy that was a science geek, majored in chemistry and biology in college, was an atheist for a long time, did not believe in God and believed that science disproved God, I will tell you that the only reason I believe that is because somebody told me that was true. Because as a scientist, that is not true. There is no conflict between science and faith. Science just helps inform our faith, frankly. It's what scientists do with science that can seem contradictory to our faith. But there's nothing in the world that God made that is going to contradict what God has said. And so it isn't science that's the problem. Another big problem, and several of your answers had to do with this, is our own arrogance. Whether it's I'm not worthy, or I can figure it out, or it seems too simple and there must be something I need to do, what's behind all of that is pride. C.S. Lewis said that pride is the root of all other sin because pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. I remember reading that as an unbeliever in mere Christianity, and that phrase convicted the snot out of me. That pride is the complete anti-God state of mind, because I was, still struggle with, but I was such a prideful, arrogant person. And that is still one of my big struggles today. Guys, here's one more that I would say. Part of why we struggle to believe in the promise that God has made to us in Christ is we live in a world full of broken promises. We live in a world full of broken promises. Whether it be promises that we've made to our spouses, or whether it be promises that we believe that some politician has made to us, or whether it be some promise we think we're owed by someone or something else, it feels like promises are broken all the time. So why wouldn't God break his? And that's really where Paul is going to take us today. So the, so the, the fundamental question is, what is the promise, and who's it for? Right, And so what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at this idea in Romans that we're talking, we're in this series called Righteous Revealed in the Gospel of Romans. We're in a part of it called the mystery of God's righteousness because there's a lot here in Romans, the second part of Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11 that is beyond our comprehension. And guys, I, before we jump into the question and the outline today, I want to I just like a word of warning, word of caution for all of our hearts. Some of what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks and then into next year, actually, as we take our break for Advent, so we won't get back to Romans until after the new year um, here in a few weeks, is um, it is some of the hardest to understand and, and, and most difficult to embrace parts of all of Scripture. And I'm not speaking in hyperbole. Because I'm here to tell you that that I know pastors personally who have taught through the book of Romans, and when they got to chapter 9, they skipped it. Because Romans 9 is something that we naturally push back against. Because of all the things that you just said, we want to insert ourselves into the story so much that we put, so so their, their thing is, like, like I've seen what Romans 9 can do to a church unity, so I'm just going to back away from it. Guys, what we need to, one, for, for the sake of our own souls and the soul of our church, we never want to back away from any part of Scripture. If God breathed it into existence, it's here for a purpose. But we also need to come to these pieces of Scripture that from the perspective of going, hey, um, there might be some stuff here we don't really understand. Right, there might be some things here that are beyond us. John prayed it in, in Isaiah chapter 55. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, says the Lord our God. Right? I mean, like What he's saying is, I, you cannot figure me all out. There's no way for you to fully figure out every part of me, even the parts that I've revealed in the Word. Because I'm trying to reveal it in a way that your finite, broken mind Can understand and oh by the way God is an infinite completely perfect God so how does that being communicate to us the answer is as clearly as we are able to understand it and so he takes some of these hard truths in scripture and he reveals them to us but we have to rest in the reality that we will not fully grasp what he's talking about at the same time of that same time. We don't want to just ignore it because one, it's in the Word, but two, because the more we understand about God, the, the, the deeper our anchor gets set into the truth of who He is. Right? It is worth wrestling through these issues. It is worth struggling through what is, what is God trying to tell us in this amazing letter that we call Romans. When I first outlined the series, which would have been, I don't know, when, whenever we started it, it would have been months before then, I actually had Romans 9 for one week as the series. Because I was like, just, let's just do it like a bandit, Let's just rip it right off. I'm not, I can't skip it. I'd feel convicted if I skipped it all together. But let's do the next best thing and just like skip some stones across it and go, good luck figuring that out. And as I've been wrestling through this whole series as we go along, The Lord just convicted me and said, no, I have it in my word for a reason. You need to spend some time in your own heart and in the hearts of the people that you're shepherding working through this together with them. And so we're now not going to spend one week. We're going to spend three weeks on Romans chapter 9. And and I'll be honest, I'm not overly happy about that. Like, just personally, I'm just like, yeah, really, Lord? But it's what I, I absolutely believe he has compelled me to do. So with that, turn not to Romans 9, but turn to Romans chapter 11. Turn to Romans chapter 11. So Romans chapters 9 through 11, Paul has been telling this amazing story about the gospel, starting in Romans 1 about how we rejected the gospel, but that the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, right? Right? And, and then he goes on to talk about how everybody needs the gospel, but we've all rejected the gospel. he starts talking about this promise of Ab- through Abraham and the seed promise and then he gets to this place in chapter five of we have peace with God and then we have this idea of the wages of sin is death and that whole struggle between the part of us that has already been transferred and this and the part of us that's still broken in Romans seven and Romans 8 and then and then and then he turns and he says, okay, so since this is the gospel now how do I how does this gospel like, actually play out in space and time? Like, how can, we, how can we look backwards in history and then look forwards into the future and go, we can trust in this gospel message? So that's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are about. And they're, they're a unit that we're actually going to have to break up because of the Christmas season, but, but they're a unit that we need to remember. So the reason I wanted you to turn to the very end of the unit, is it, which is Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Guys, you're going to hear this probably every Sunday between now and every time we're in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Because here's the Apostle Paul, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this section of Scripture, and he gets to the end of chapter 11, Romans 9 through 11, he gets to the end of chapter 11, and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been His counselor and who has ever given back to Him what wasn't given to him in the first place. And then, in, the, and then in, chapter, in verse 36, he says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now guys, why do I have most of that mostly memorized? Because I need to remember that. Like I, my soul needs to cling to this idea that, that oh, the, we are not, Paul who wrote it, gets to the end of it and goes, I don't understand it either. Really, the issue that Paul is going to bring to us isn't, do you understand it? It's, can you get okay with having a God you can't fully understand? That's really the tension at the table. Now turn to Romans 8. Back to where we kind of left off the last time I was teaching in Romans. Romans 8 in verse 31. He says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And God is for you. I'm not gonna go back and re-preach that passage, that message. You can listen to it online or on the podcast. But guys, we need to, we need to remember Romans 8:31. And oh, by the way, also Romans 8:38 and 39. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things to, or nor, nor the present things, or the things to come nor power, so he's saying nothing anywhere at any time ever, in height or depth or anything in all of creation, as if I didn't make myself clear, nothing never ever is gonna separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's the rock. Now, if we're gonna set our anchor in that rock, how do we know that rock won't move? That's what Romans 9 is about. So in Romans 9, it's it's this idea of the mystery of the promise of God. And, it's, and, and the question we're looking at today is, is if our faith is the fulfillment of, it really should say, and this is my fault, it shouldn't say the fulfillment of a promise, but a fulfillment of the promise, who's it for? Our faith is the fulfillment, because uh, our faith is in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of every promise of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, all of the promises of God find their amen, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now, if if that's true, who's the promise for? That's what Paul is going to talk about. He's like, but wait a second. If that's so, here's 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 another way to think about this. He's saying, Paul's saying, if that is true, that Christ has fulfilled the promises of God, then why isn't everyone saved? That's called universalism. It's being preached in churches that profess Christianity, and it is wholly unbiblical. Not everyone is saved. That is, you cannot read any part of Scripture and believe that. What Paul is going to address is, okay, so why? Why isn't everyone saved? And so what we're going to look at, he's going to answer, we're just looking at the first eight verses of chapter 9, the promise missed, the promise made clear, and the promise manifested. And we're going to look at those passages. Now again, I want to remind you one more time so a Greek scholar that, I've been, that I read a lot is Kent Hughes. He says that if any man has fully figured out God or thinks that they've fully figured out God, then the Trinity needs to make room for another member. So what he's saying is, like, this, is a, this is a man who's devoted his life to breaking down specifically Romans in particular. And he says, anyone who says, I've got this totally figured out has exalted themselves to the place of deity. And that is not possible. So, let's pick it up. We're going to look at, so if our faith is the fulfillment of a promise, who's it for this promise missed. Let's look at chapter, um, chapter 9, verse 1. It says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. So now he's, he's kind of bringing everything that he's talked about in those first eight chapters to this place. He says, I am not lying, for my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and increasing anguish in my heart. For I would wish that I myself be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, or brothers and sisters, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That word accursed there is the Greek word anathema. It means, here's what Paul's saying. I wish I were damned to hell. And he's not speaking figuratively. If that would save my brothers and sisters. That's how broken he is at their unbelief because they have rejected Christ. And then it says, they are Israelites and to them belong. And now he's going to say, here are the things that God gave his people all the way back in the beginning. He belong adoption and glory and covenants and the law and worship and the promise. To them belong the patriarchs, the fathers of our faith. And from their race, According to the flesh, so the human part of Christ, who is God over all. So they're saying, he's saying, God has given them so much. But ultimately, what he's going to lead us into in the, in the last three verses we're going to look at just today, and then for the rest of the chapter, is he's going to say, guys, the promise that, he was, that God was speaking of in these covenants, and the glory, and the worship, and everything else, he's saying, it was not a physical relationship. It was always meant to be spiritual. And he's going to go on to talk about, and, he, and, he, and Paul spends a great deal of time, don't turn there, but you can write down Galatians 3 and 4, Paul spends a lot of time wrestling, trying to help people, the Jewish people in particular, but trying to help the people understand what, wait, what were all these Old Testament promises for if somehow now most of Judaism has rejected Christ and these, everybody else, the nations, the Gentiles, are coming to faith in Christ. He's like, what is all that about? And ultimately, what, he's ta- what he talks about in Galatians is he says, guys, there's always been this idea of the physical and the spiritual. And he uses a specific example of Hagar and Sarah. So he's saying Hagar has, and, and you'll read a little bit about this this week in your daily readings, in Genesis, Hagar is one of Abraham's wives. I'm not going to do all the details about it. It was, it was what Abraham and Sarah devised in their own flesh, by their own power, so so Hagar has Ishmael. He is a child of the flesh. He is a child of this physical world. Isaac is the promised one, and we'll see it at the end of the message. Isaac is the promised child who is born supernaturally, Meaning, meaning Abraham and Sarah were not physically able to reproduce children, and Sarah has a child. That is the child of the promise. That's ultimately where Paul's going to take us. It has always been this, you see the two kingdoms. There's always been this, Ishmael is this picture of the physical kingdom. Isaac is the picture of the spiritual kingdom. But what I want to focus on in this first point really is, guys, how broken he is that his people missed this whole, he's like, this is, this is not new information. This was true in Genesis all the way back in Genesis, moving forward throughout God's word, and yet the world has missed it. He's like, my world, my people, the Jews, have missed it. And his heart breaks for them. Why? Because this is not theory and theology to Paul. This is personal. These are people he loved dearly. My question for us as Christians then, so why does any of that matter, is does your heart break for the people in your family, for your friends? For your coworkers, for your classmates, for the people that you see on TV that you disagree with, does your heart break for their eternal damnation? Because Paul is saying, I if I could, I would take, place, I would swap places for them, and he knew what that meant. And he would. Does, does our heart break like that? Are we really that concerned about the gospel and the mission? So look at your second talking points question. The Apostle Paul's heart so broke for his fellow Jews who rejected the good news that he was willing to do anything to see them saved. You have such a heart for the lost souls around you. How can you sacrifice a little more to be a little more gospel-minded? So if the gospel is clear and the mission is clear, what's our problem? Why isn't the gospel going forward? And I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about right here through this church. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm saying, why is it not going? We can always do better. So what are some reasons we're not seeing more and more people come to faith in Christ? I'm asking. Doubt. What do you mean by that? Okay, so we have Moses, we have this belief that if it's so easy, why doesn't everybody understand it? And since obviously everybody doesn't understand it, there must be something else to it. Okay, good. What else? Selfish with our time. We what? We have not denied ourselves, which, which in a very direct one of the ways that shows itself is in our time. Like, do we just? And I'm guilty of this. We've talked about this a lot here at Cross Train. Do we just so over schedule, over program our lives? I don't have time to engage with people that I bump into, or if my phone rings and it's somebody that probably needs to have a conversation, I don't have time for that right now. Ignore, right? Is that our lives, or do we actually go, hey, maybe God is orchestrating this moment for a reason, right? Uh, what others? Fear of losing a friend, right? Would you, same thing. So Je- Jesus I, talks about that, right? In our in our. Reading through the Bible in a year we're in the Gospels right now, and he talks about, hey, here's the bottom line. Brother against brother, father against son, mother against daughter. Like, this is, this is the reality. But then he always says over and over again, but you're blessed when you are rejected on account of me. Right? Ultimately, that is also true. So, a huge part of the issue is, I mean, if we just had to summarize it one thing, why we don't, our hearts don't break is we, are, we, are, we don't get our minds past this world and into the eternal world long enough for it to matter. Because if we could see everybody's eternal like, destination, it would motivate us way more. So we need to be praying, in fact I'm going to pray right now, that we would be a people that would recognize that when, when there is somebody that we know does not know Christ, um, it is their eternity at stake. And that's a really long time let me pray. Father, I just come to you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm praying, yes, for those hearts to turn. For you to, You're you the only one who can prepare a heart to receive the gospel. But Lord, I want to pray for our hearts. That when we look at people that are not yet in your kingdom, that we would see that they are under um, the rule of the, of the God of this world and this kingdom, and that their damnation is assured if they don't come to faith in Christ. And let that like, increase our urgency a thousandfold. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we've looked at how um, this this idea that they missed the promise, so now Paul is going to clarify the promise a little bit. So he's like, hey, my people have missed it, and it kills me that they've missed it. Now look at verses 6 and 7. So now he's going to make it really clear about this whole Ishmael-Isaac thing. But it is not though the word of God has failed, for not all who descend from Israel belong to Israel. He's saying it's not a physical thing. He's like God's people were never saved simply because they were called Jews, simply because they were of Abraham, is what he's saying. He, and not all of the children of Abraham, not all are the children of Abraham, because they are the they are his because they're his offspring. It is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. So it's this it's this tension between he's saying, are you? Do you see yourself as a child of God because of your physical um, heredity or because of the spiritual transformation that has gone on in your life? And guys, there are a lot of pieces that are at play here that we'll get into in, chapter, in the rest of chapter 9 and then in chapter 11 about how you see Israel and the church and dispensationalism versus covenantalism and, and a lot of stuff I'm not going to spend time on today, but we will spend some time talking about because it is important. But, uh, but fundamentally understand this. God's covenants with God's people have always been about spiritual matters. Not about physical heredity. Right? He says right here, not all of the people who, who, have, who, could, who can claim to be Jewish are actually part of God's family. Because it was never about that. He's saying the ones that can be called part of God's family are the ones who are a product of the promise. So what's the promise? The promise is that he is going to send his son through this seed that goes through God's people. But it isn't God's people. It isn't the Jewish people, the Old Testament believers, or the Old Testament um, the the Hebrews that, that, that are saved. It is those that believed in the promise. The reason David was saved isn't because he was Jewish. It's because he believed God. The passage that I read in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when he says, who am I and what is my family that you have brought me this far? What he's, what he's talking about there is he's saying, who am I that I got to be part of this lineage that is the promise that is to come? This wasn't about him just being king. This was about the king and the kingdom that was to come and Jesus makes that clear and again we won't take the time today but we will talk more about that later but it is a supernatural thing it's not the children of Ishmael the physical it's the children of Isaac the spiritual that are part of the promise of God so so okay but but I'm I'm not why do I care I'm in Peoria Arizona in 2022 why do I care the answer is because God's just dis- God's choosing, God's choice to choose us for His salvation is just one more aspect of His unfolding righteousness that has always been part of His plan. Guys, do you understand that? That that you sit here today, if you are a child of God, it it is because just like God chose Isaac and not Ishmael, And then next week we'll look at, and he chose Jacob and not Esau. God chose you, and that's part of his sovereign plan to reveal his righteousness, and it has always been so. We shouldn't push away from that. We should lean into it and go, man, what a gift. That's what makes grace, grace. You did nothing to earn it. Abraham did nothing to earn it. Isaac did nothing to earn it. Jacob did nothing to earn it. And Eli, you have done nothing to earn it. That's why it's grace. And he longs to give it. And exactly how all that works? Oh, the depths of the wisdom and riches of knowledge of God, how unsearchable His judgments and unfathomable His ways. That's what I get that. But the reality is, if you're a child of God, that ought to massively motivate you. Because it had nothing to do with you. And I know that's a hard thing for us to get our minds around. But here's the other reason it matters to us as Christians, guys. To be God, who is Lord of all, He has to be in control of everything. If He's, in, he's understood, practically speaking, and we'll see this as we've, as we've, in our last point, if He's not in charge of everything, ultimately He's in charge of nothing. Think about just. I just. I want you to go home and think about that for a little bit. If God is not in charge of everything that goes on around here, then He's really in charge of nothing. He is hoping some stuff happens the way He wants, and that's not our God. He never hopes, right? If if we don't understand Him to be the God who is in control of everything, then the rock that we've anchored our that we've set our anchor into is adrift, just like the rest of the world. And we're hoping God will show up now. And we're hoping God will show up now. Or we set our anchor in a rock that does not move. And the only way it doesn't move is if he's in control of everything. Guys, understand. Romans, so go back to Romans 8. Romans 8, 28. And we know that it is, I'm sorry. Romans, yeah, Romans 8, 28. And we know that it it is those who love God for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And then Romans 8.31. And what can we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? But guys, we have to, we have to, have to, have to, have to remember that Romans 8.28 and 31 have to be informed and transformed by Romans 29 and 30. The only way 28 and 31 can be true in the mystery that is God's sovereignty and our complete responsibility is only if, verse 29, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those who he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. We break any part of that chain the golden chain of redemption, and we have unhitched our anchor from the rock that does not move. That's why it matters that when Paul says back in Romans 9, when he says, But not all the children of Abraham are the children are, are God's children, it is through the offspring of Isaac. It is through those who believe in the promise. They are the ones who are children of God. Now the question then becomes: so How do they believe? And we'll finish up there in a minute, but look at your last talking points question. Why is the sovereignty of God such a big deal? Because He's God. And unless He is the one in complete control, can He really be Lord? But that But that can be hard for us to handle because, and I want you to hear this it is also true that we have to make choices. Even though he is working it all together in his control of all things, we're not robots. How does that work? Oh, the depths of the wit- riches of wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable his judgments, unfathomable his ways! I don't know. I just know it does. And then it says, "But when," but I'm sorry. And then it says, "How might leaning into the biblical truth that God is in complete control help make your anchor in Christ ever more firm as you live moment by moment in the choices that you make?" Guys, you'll hear this a lot too. One of the things that Skip, the pastor at West Valley Bible, one of the churches that um, planned that, one of the things he used to, train me to ask myself and then other people is, is your God big enough to, and fill in the blank. Stop this from happening. Have caused that to happen. Is your God big enough to X, Y, or Z? Because the sovereignty, he's saying, the God is completely in control. The answer to that question as biblicists is yes. God is always big enough. Then the next question becomes, well, he's cho- at the very least, he's chosen not to make that happen the way you thought it would ha- should happen. So then we have to start pressing into and leaning into, so what's he doing? Right? That's really what's at stake. Guys, the question isn't, why doesn't God save everyone? Remember I talked about universalism? So wait a minute, this promise, Christ came, he paid the price for everybody. The, qu- the question our hearts wants to a- want to ask is, then why doesn't God save everyone? Paul's going to go there next week. So you've got to stay patient through these three weeks. Paul's going to go that, to that very place next week. But why, the question really becomes, why does God save anyone? Because if we'll just train our brains to not go, but what about those people that aren't chosen, that aren't elect? And start training our brains to go, why in the world would God elect anyone? And I don't know who he has and who he hasn't elected. So I'm going to preach Christ to everyone and let God sort them out. Right, that's what we're supposed to believe as Christians. Okay, so with that, our last point. So let's, so, so who is the, pro, so this, this, the last point is the promise manifested. So how did this promise come to be? I hope you're ready because we're going to walk through the entire Old Testament and part of the New Testament in five minutes or less. Okay, I know you're all laughing because you know me, but I'm serious. So get ready, get your Bibles, let's go. John's checking his watch. I'll tell you when to start. Not yet. Um, so, guys, understand. Like, so, so, here's, so here, remember I said the, the, the two fundamental questions are, what is the promise and who is it for? So the, what is the promise? Or I'm sorry, who is the promise for? Ultimately, and we'll finish up with our time of response in this, the promise is for you. The promise is for the whole world. Right. The, the point Paul is making ultimately in Romans, and he will see it in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's where that is, right? Is John 3.16. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life because God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Fundamentally, the the answer to the question, the, the, the fundamental answer to the question of who is the promise for? The promise is for you. There's nobody sitting here today at the sound of my voice where that promise of free, the free gift of salvation isn't for you. How are you going to respond to it? The other part of the question was, so what is the promise? And I sort of skipped that. So let's look at verse 8, and then I'll tell you to start your timer. Verse eight of chapter nine. The promise manifested. Here's what Paul is trying to say. This means that it is not the children of the flesh. It's not physical. It's not your heredity. It's not what family you came from. It's none of that. It's, it's not whether you are even you're Jewish or not. He's saying it's never been about that. It's not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as His offspring because it seems like a pretty big statement. So the people who are saved, the people who are his children, are children of the promise. So we ought to know what the promise is. Now, ultimately, we know that the promise is, Sunday school answer the promise is, that was weak, the promise is Jesus. But wait a minute, how is that possible all the way back in the Old Testament? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning. Ready, John? Go. I have no idea if we'll get, how long? John 3. I'm sorry, Genesis 3. Genesis, I'm sorry, John. John, John, start 5. John 5, Genesis 3. Go. Okay. If you're listening online or you're going to listen to the podcast, later, you're like, what is he rambling about? And the answer is, I have no idea. Um, okay, Genesis 3.15. So what, what, you know, God has created Adam and even his image. Right? And, and, and now they're in the garden and Satan, Satan strolls up and he's like, hey, don't you really want to be like God? And what they should have said is we already are like God. He made us in his image, but he convinces them that you'll be even more, all that pride, arrogance, all those things we talked about, it was their problem too, so they rebel. God immediately pursues them, and we've talked about all this kind of stuff before, and then he starts to address them. And in, Je- in Genesis 3.15, he says, I will put enmity, this is God speaking, between you and the woman. He's addressing Satan. And he says, in between your offspring and her offspring. The word offspring in both cases is the Hebrew word seed. S-E-E-D. He's saying, I will will put enmity between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is what's what's called the proto-evangelium in theology. It just means the first reference to the gospel. All the way back in Genesis 3, God is saying that from a seed, and Paul addresses this in Galatians. Remember I mentioned Galatians three and four? Paul, where, where, that, that helps explain Romans nine. He's, Paul addresses it. He says, when he's talking about a single person, not seeds like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, he's, not talk, he's saying, "Single, a single seed, I will do this." It's a singular form of that word. So now jump to Genesis 12. We have, we have just flashed forward. Um, like I don't know over a thousand years of time right the flood has happened um so all you know and then and now the world is still corrupt and God chooses Abraham for no reason the Bible's really clear about that there's no reason outside of just his sovereign selection that he says hey Abraham you're the one so he says "Now the Lord said to Abraham Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so you will also be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families, all the nations, all the Gentiles, to use the New Testament term, of the earth shall be blessed. So all the way back in Genesis 12, God's promise From the seed of Adam and Eve through Abraham is salvation to everyone. Now, Genesis, we're not going to turn there, but Genesis 3, 15 through 18 specifically talks about how the seed is going to be through Isaac. But I'm going to have you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. So keep going to the right. If you're in the the Old Testament class, this is making great sense to you. If you're not in the Old Testament class, this is not going to make a lot of sense to you. That's why you should be in the Old Testament class. That's just a commercial. So now we've just flashed forward another thousand years. So we've just gone ahead from, from the time of Abraham to the time of King David, another thousand years. And it's in, 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 in 2 Samuel 7, 16 and 17, this is what's called the Davidic covenant. Old Testament people make me proud. Where else can you find this? 1 Chronicles, my people, 1 Chronicles 17. The same scene, just in a different book. It says in, in 2 Samuel 7, 16 and 17, It says, this is God speaking. It says, your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. This is God speaking to David. Your throne shall be established forever. Now David's throne was not established forever. Right? Not earthly. Not his physical kingdom. And in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. And then David's like overwhelmed with the beauty of that promise, etc. Just just for the sake of fun, because it's where we were in the Old Testament class, Keep going to the right. Go past the Psalms, past the Proverbs. Go to Isaiah chapter 9. So so from Genesis, from Adam, through Abraham, through David. And you're going to see how these are all actually connected when we get to the New Testament here in just a minute. I know I'm probably way out of time already, but as far as my five minutes goes, but that's okay. Isaiah chapter 9. Sorry, I can't talk and turn at the same time, apparently. Isaiah chapter 9. So Isaiah chapter. Now, you've, most of you have heard this before, even if you're just... Priesters, like all you only ever come to church on Christmas and Easter, you've heard this one, right? Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called, anybody want to sing it? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of the peace there shall be no end, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it forever and ever with justice and righteousness, from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the house of the Lord shall, the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Now, here's what's interesting Isaiah's written 300 years after David. David's kingdom is gone, it is annihilated by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And yet, Isaiah is prophesying to something about this everlasting kingdom. How is that possible? Because the seed that came from Adam through Abraham to David, the prophets start talking about. That's why they're in the Old Testament. Is not about Abraham and Isaac and David. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look at eleven and uh, Isaiah 11, 1 and two. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who is Jesse? David's father. So this is Isaiah. This is God's way of saying. Through the seed that I, the promise I made to David, a branch from his root shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Who's he talking about? Jesus. And the and, and guys, there's I, I was gonna have you turn to a bunch of other places in Isaiah. I'm not gonna. Um, but there's just so much beauty in in, I, in Isaiah. I'll just go to one, one of the places. Isaiah 14. Look at look at, Isaiah four, look at Isaiah 14, 24. Again, this is all happening while God's earthly kingdom is being destroyed. This isn't about an earthly kingdom. This is about a kingdom that is to come. And he says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have, as I have purposed, show it shall stand. Verse 27, For the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and you will not, and, and who can annul it? The hand is stretched out, and who can turn it back? Guys, that's God's way of saying, What I plan, I fulfill. The only way He can do that is if He is in control of everything. The only way the gospel could move forward in God's story from Genesis through, through Abraham, through David, through the prophets, to the time that we're going to look at now in Matthew chapter 1. The only way that's possible is if God hoped. Some of it would happen the way he wanted it to, or if God made it happen the way he wanted it to. We believe in a God who makes things happen. Praise God. Now, look at Matthew chapter 1. So, so isn't it interesting that Matthew, who talks about the kingdom and the king, Christ, starts with Matthew, one, or Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ and the son of David, wait. From who? He's saying this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Do you see what Matthew's doing? He's taking all that stuff I just pulled from Genesis through. So he's saying this whole thing has only ever been about one thing, and it hasn't been about the Jewish people. It has been about Jesus. The Jewish people were blessed in that they were the ones through whom Christ got to came. They were the ones chosen by God, and in that there is great blessing. But ultimately, all of that was only about Christ. That's a huge deal. He goes on to talk, and and, and he goes, and he goes through and he connects all those dots. That's why those genealogies are in there. Guys, God has perfectly orchestrated the gospel moving forward throughout all of human history. And if you're in the Old Testament class, you've seen that, you're seeing that like. in in living color, kind of almost literally. Here's the thing. God has been moving human history forward and he still is for the second coming. Right? So last place to turn, Revelation 22. So now, Christ came, created, he fulfilled the promise in the already. So we've already been transferred, but we're not yet fully renewed. The already, but not yet. is how we describe it here. Look at Revelation 22. This is what this is what Jesus says about God's plan. Isaiah, Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. About how things are going to unfold for my second coming. And I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Now here's the invitation of the gospel. So he's saying, guys, that whole story, the whole, this whole book, Has been about the fulfillment of a promise. And he's saying, and I am, I am it. I am the promise. I'm not one of the promises. I'm not a part of the promise. I am the promise. And then he says, So the spirit and the bride say, Come. And the one who hears says, come. And the one, and to the one who thirsts, who is thirsty, come, and let those who desire take water from the spring of life without cost. Guys, we have to set our anchor deep into that truth that I just, or we are adrift just like the world. And I mean you individually. I mean you as a family and us as a church family. If, we are, if our church doesn't set our anchor deep in the truth that God is in control of all things, he's revealing it, he's revealed it in his word, and we are going to set our anchor deep there, then, then we are unmoored. And that is what's happened to the church in America. Because we don't want to teach hard things. We want to give gospel light. We have a bunch of completely malnourished Christians. Should it surprise us? The answer is no. Guys, our faith is the fulfillment of the promise. Who is the promise for? It's for you. It's for the world. For God so loved the world. Guys, if God went to all of this trouble to move human history forward, to bring his son Jesus Christ to save, do you think he wants to be stingy about who gets to get saved? The Lord longs to be gracious to you. The Lord waits on high to have compassion. As the music team comes back up and we and we respond in, in our time of communion and I guess I just want to ask you are, you, are you ready to receive that promise? Are you ready, are you ready to really believe? Remember we talked about how the, it seems so simple and yet it's so hard for us to live like we believe it. Why? Because we interject ourselves into the story way too much. We, we put ourselves... Like somehow it becomes about us instead about Christ. It becomes about this people group or that people group instead of about Christ. It becomes about this church or that movement or instead of about Christ. and we have got to just get back to the basics. Jesus Christ and him crucified. that's what this church preaches. So pray with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for I, I thank you for the um, the fact that you are a rock that does not move and that your word is strong, as we, as we often sing here. But I, I thank you that, um, that because of that, we are not left to wonder. We, we don't understand it all, but we can rest in the, in the reality that is your sovereignty, that is your complete control over all things. Lord, I want to pray right now for those who are saved, for those of us that have, that, that we have come um, to saving faith in Christ, that we have believed in the promise. Lord, I want to pray that you would... That you would help us live like we believe it that you would remind us of of how precious it is to have the promises of god applied to our lives to have the promise of jesus christ transform our hearts to turn us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh and lord i pray for those that are not yet saved whether they be here in this room or they're listening online, or they listen to the podcast at some future time. Lord, I want to pray that you would do the work. Lord, I want to pray that that you would help them recognize their need. Lord, we are a needy people. Lord, the, the reason we struggle to believe the gospel is because we don't really believe that about ourselves. We need the gospel. Help those who have yet to cry out to you. Recognize their need and let that move them to seeing the beauty of your grace. Father God, I do pray that you would Help us to be a people who are about your mission to make disciples, to teach people what you've said and how to live it out. That we would model for the world what it looks like to live distinctly different, deeply loved, and also deeply loving. That you would help us to used by you in whatever way you would see fit, Lord, individually, as families, and as the church family, to see people come into the kingdom, see people baptized, see people's hearts change, see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, for your kingdom glory alone, that's why we want to see these things, that you would come soon, Lord, in Jesus' name.